Before we dive in, I want to let you know that my pediatric food allergy course, Fear to Freedom, is officially open for enrollment right now on emilynolan.com. One more thing before I jump in, I'm a mama, not a doctor. So the information provided in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a qualified medical professional. Any questions you may have concerning the diagnosis or treatment of a medical condition should be directed to your doctor or another qualified healthcare provider. was in a parent meeting for a school I'm looking at for my son. And they were very direct in the parent meeting. They said, we've actually stopped doing food celebrations for birthdays. I almost stood up out of my chair and applauded. (laughs) I was like, yes! I had this idea that I wanted to record an episode on the podcast about rethinking the no-nut policy. Why do we have a no-peanuts-in-school policy when... Most of the children in the class aren't allergic to peanuts. In fact, many of the children in the class are allergic to other things. Last year in my son's class, there was a child who had a life-threatening allergy to pineapple, yet the school didn't say no pineapple in school. So I wanted to have a discussion with two food allergy moms about the nut policy or legume, if you want to be specific, policy in schools. Is it outdated? And could we rethink this policy to make schools and daycares a safer place for our children? I will tell you that I did not have a conversation about this topic with the two moms on this podcast before this conversation because I wanted to be surprised by their take on rethinking the no-nut policy. One of the moms joining us is Mina Lele from Lil Mixins. She runs an allergy tolerance training company, which is little powders you can put into your child's bottles and food at very early ages to introduce allergens into your child's immune system and gut so that they could tolerate the allergens later in life, hopefully earlier and immediately in life. And the other mom that joined me is one of the moms that runs the Food Allergy Moms Instagram handle. Now, these two moms are both moms that have to practice strict avoidance because their their child is severely allergic to certain allergens. My child has been through oral immunotherapy and can now tolerate all allergens that he used to be allergic to. However, I don't ever give him those allergens outside of my care. So we all come from different places and seasons. And I really wanted this podcast episode to not be for food allergy parents, but to be for schools and communities and daycares to consider best practices and what's best for those children and the schools. So let's dive into this conversation. I am always very excited about my podcast episodes, but this one in particular, I think, is going to have a ripple effect. And I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this episode as well. And you're certainly welcome to respond to my newsletter email with your thoughts. And you can leave a comment about your thoughts in the podcast review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Let's dive in. 
Mino, Lauren, welcome to Whole Body Health. Hi, good morning. Thank you. The no nut policy in schools. If you've listened to Whole Body Health, you know probably where I stand on this and my answer might surprise you. But I wanted to bring in Mino and Lauren today to offer more of a round table support and voice, if you will, for all food allergy parents and just figure out what's the best solution for this no nut policy in schools and should we be rethinking this. Mm-hmm. So Meenal, why don't you start? What are your thoughts on the blanket no-nut policy in schools? So I'm, I'm generally opposed to the no-nut policies in schools. My son has, from when he was in preschool, every single day he would sit next to two kids, his two friends, Pike and Barb, who always ate peanut butter sandwiches. And he's, he's got 10 different food allergies. And But I think the reason for my my stance on this is because my son has 10 different allergies, right? So it's cool that you're not eating nuts, but you're still eating a bunch of stuff he's allergic to. And so what difference does it make to him at this point? And he's quite sensitive. And so, but it sort of brings up the question that like, why are we trying to protect the kids with nut allergies, but not the kids with the milk allergies, for example? It seems a bit arbitrary. And then lastly, now, you know, now that my son's in grade school, he doesn't like it. He hates that he's ostracized. So I think that the psychosocial toll of food allergy is actually many ways way worse than, you know, the acute distress you get from the reactions. And we should be thinking more about how to mitigate that overall effect. And, and I'll speak, my, my son has very severe uh, allergies to both peanut and tree nut. Um, he'll get hives right from contact, which we found out um, as a baby. And so we, we're doing the whole thing like you, we're carrying up an Ephraim, we're trying to manage, how do we navigate this in social context? And even I, I would actually agree I am actually, as that mom, still opposed to the no-nut policies in school for some of the similar reasons that you're saying. Uh, there are so many other allergens that are out there that we need to pay attention to, but also the perspective of when when we think about saying it's, it's not free, it's just not there, there's a complacency that can happen with that, that we don't need to be aware. And I actually would say it makes me more nervous when people tell me that this place is not free because that tells me they think that we're just set and we don't have to think about it. We don't have to think about the child bringing the Reese's peanut butter cup in their pocket at recess. And that makes me more concerned as the mom of a child with severe nut allergies. I want people on it. I want people being attentive to the things that we then need to do to keep our kids safe who do have nut allergies, but also the kids um, who have other allergies as well. And I will be the first to say that my son has gone to school and I was at a meeting and couldn't pack his lunch or snack. And one of the caregivers of my child, I won't name whether it was my husband or my mother because they're amazing (laughs) and doing the best that they can, packed macadamia nuts. So you have that error of a food allergy parent and family who is highly aware, right? you know, still making those mistakes. And then also you get the mix up of peanut and tree nut. And those are two totally different proteins. So you go into a school with a no nut policy and you're like, wait, this is a no nut policy or a no peanut or a no legume nut? What are we talking about here? And so I agree. I love that you brought up the complacency. And I think that teachers would be more alert and caregivers at daycares would be more alert Mm -hmm. if they knew that this was a risk. And so they need to be medically trained for it with the proper training, have epinephrine on them at all times. You know, the epinephrine could be 
locked away in, in a locked safe, which has been done before in my child's school, put in a refrigerator, which it's not supposed to be, you know? So it's just the way that the world is operating now. And I know that schools aren't set up for this, but they need to be. Right. Mm -hmm. My next question is about age appropriateness and what we should be teaching or what teachers or schools should be teaching our children. Since we're all of the thought of, hey, we think that it should just be, let's just include everything in the classroom. Unless of course there's like an airborne allergy. What do you think Lauren, we should do or be teaching our children at age appropriate levels. Start at like age three when a lot of kids go to preschool. <laughs> right. And so I'm looking at both the perspective of the child who has the food allergies and how we can help our kids who do not have food allergies to help their food allergy friends. Not that it's their responsibility, but I think that awareness socially, because so many kids, like you said, have this. The statistics now, it's basically two per classroom. It's 13%. It's 5.6 million kids. I mean, th this is a lot of kids that we're talking about. And so chances are kids are going to be in school with friends with food allergies. So let's talk about, let's talk about both. For the younger kids, identifying their allergens starting at age three, you know, I'm allergic to peanuts. I'm allergic to tree nuts. Um, asking questions like, is this safe for me before they accept food for their caregivers? Um, and just general hygiene habits like washing hands before we eat, washing hands after we eat. And we all have children. When they eat, it is just, it's everywhere. It's on their faces. It's on their clothes. It's, it's, and so those things are things we can start at an early age of saying, okay, I'm a child who doesn't, I'm not allergic to peanut butter, but I just had my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So I should wash my hands and wipe my face. And if we start that early, I think that that's, that can be really go a long way as kids get older. For some of the older kids, I'm not sharing food. Older kids uh, swapping lunch at, I know they have policies about this in school, but it's kids, kids are kids. And so just learning why instead of just that it's a rule, but why we don't just trade snacks or why we don't pressure our friends to try something that they don't want to try. Some of those social contracts, I think, are are really useful in, in navigating with kids as well. If we get into the older grades, I actually think, um, you know, we, when we start hitting adolescence, recognizing the signs of anaphylaxis and really what that would look like if you were to experience it yourself as somebody with a food allergy or if you're with someone who has this understanding the signs, understanding what to do and, and the general procedure, wow, would that go a long way for making life safer for, for families with food allergies. Absolutely. I, I would I forgot about that last bit about, you know, just helping everyone be educated on the anaphylaxis signs, which is a great point. I, I think that even from when children are really, really little, it's actually the same conversation that you're having in an age appropriate way. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the better way in my mind to frame it that um, is just respect for everyone's food choices, mm -hmm. right? And I, I bring this up because there's, there's, for some reason, there's something about food allergy that people sort of frame it as like the person with the disease is being a burden on everyone else. Right. And, you know, I mean, if fundamentally, sure, is it making things a little bit more challenging? But if somebody came into your classroom and they were like a very strict kosher, or they were very strict halal, right. or very strict vegetarian, or whatever else, you wouldn't sit there and be like, wow, you're such a burden on everyone else. You right. respect their choices. And it doesn't matter that it's that it's a choice by necessity, or that it's a choice choice, right? It, the point is that 
it needs to be respected. And I think that that's a, that's a framing we can use even from when children are toddlers. Like that's why we don't share or that you can share if both parents, both kids, parents have okayed it, or this is a routine thing you do that is okay to share, right? Because we create these hard rules, like don't share food, don't do this, don't do that without the context of why. And I think that, you know, when a child is really, really little, that's the most important thing is like, you know, same reason we cover our noses when we sneeze. I mean, our, our, yeah, cover, you know, our, our mouths when we sneeze or something. It's yeah. out of respect for everybody else, right? And it's the same principle. Why do I wash my hands after I eat? Out of respect for everybody else and their health and their needs, right? And so that it's not a huge burden on me. And I think you can have that discussion with a three-year-old and they'll get it, actually. Yes. They'll just say like, oh, okay, like I, I'm, I shouldn't share because that's not good for so-and-so. That's not what their body needs. That's not what their culture needs, whatever. And then, you know, that can kind of carry over as they get older. And I feel like if we approached it from the beginning as not as you have to do this because you have to be careful for so-and-so or because you have to take on a burden for so-and-so, but rather it's just like we all mutually respect each other's choices and needs. It would, you know, it wouldn't frame it as a burden for everyone. I really think that's, that's where so much of the challenge with food allergy comes from is for whatever reason, every time it comes up, everybody else sees it as like, oh, this guy again, <laughs> you know, and it just doesn't need to be like that. It doesn't involve you, you know, like you continue to go ahead, eat what you want to eat. To echo what you were talking about, Lauren, about sharing food, I have a thing about bringing in birthday cupcakes and also leftover Halloween treats or, you know, holiday treats and just the addition of sharing food. And I understand that it's out of love that these people are bringing in treats to celebrate. And when I say treats, I mean cupcakes or food treats. And I come from the thought of please don't give my child added sugar because he's already, it's not that I'm, you know, very binary in thought and saying it's black or white and I, you know, never give my child sugar, but I'm really trying to support his immune health. We're going through so much in therapy and I'm trying my best to be a modern mom, trying to instill values of health and supporting his body, his little body and brain, because we know about the gut brain axis. And if you don't, you can look it up on NIH. So when people out of love, and they also probably don't know, right? Or maybe they don't care. They bring in cupcakes with a thousand ingredients in them. You probably like, you know, 25 to 30 ingredients in them. And Half of them are A, things I can't pronounce or food dyes or things that, you know, whatever, but it still says peanut free. And then the teacher sends it to me and is like, hey, can your son have this? Yeah, he can, but do I want to give it to him? And then do I want to bring in an additional cupcake for my child to eat every time somebody has a birthday party? As you can hear, this is me venting about like, we have modern schools you know, we want our kids to be smart and emotionally regulated. Why are we still allowing this? When we know on the weekend they're going to have their birthday cake with their friends that are in their class, why are we doing it again in class when it isolates that one child who has to pull out the allergy snack? Or like Mina was saying, religiously, you know, like this is culturally, they're kosher or they don't eat that way. And I think there is this overlap for me in that area where it's not like a religion in my family, but it's a deep belief system that our family tries really hard to live this way so we can in 20 years have optimal health, hopefully, right? Not always, you know, promised and that my son's immune system can heal and, Mm -hmm. you know, be supported, et cetera. So 
let's dive into that. I know that's kind of a gray area, overlapping area of like, we're talking about refined sugar, not just like sugar with the fiber matrix, like fruit, right? We're talking about something totally different. And then you can even talk about that too, because I know somebody in my son's school has a life-threatening pineapple allergy. Mm-hmm. So like even mm-hmm. bringing in fruit isn't right. cool, right? So like, you know, you could talk about all these things like, oh, well, we could do healthy snacks or muffins, but yeah, you've got the egg now, or you've got, oh, it's sweetened with pineapple juice all of a sudden. And you know, who, who would have thought that? So like, keep your treats at home. Let my kid eat what's in his snack box or his lunchbox. It's really hard though, right? I, I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about this and um, doing a lot of research on where people come from, you know, and, and there's this very deep seated, like one of the things about food allergy that really offends people is that it turns something that they find as a source of joy into a threat. And even though it's not a threat to them, they just don't like the idea, like you're, you're tainting something that is a, a core belief for them as a good thing. And this is, I mean, not to just like go too far out there, but you know, you know, the very strange, like almost like visceral reaction you get from like a large chunk of the country once a year when, you know, they're like, well, they're banning saying Merry Christmas. And, and it's a really interesting, I'm just going to go there for a second. I promise I won't go too deep into this, but it's an interesting phenomenon to think about because there's one half of the people that are just saying like, I'm just trying to wish you well. I'm saying Merry Christmas, you know, and I'm so like, it, it drives them nuts that they're trying to do something nice and it's being thrown back in their face. And then there's another group of people that are like, you know, but I didn't want that, you know? And and I'm not, I don't, you know, like, I don't know how we find that societal balance, but I, my point is just that it's really, really similar yeah. is that people are trying, as you said, Emily, that people are trying to do something nice and they hate the idea of having thrown back in our faces. And we don't, food is just such a deeply cultural, emotional thing for everybody. Um, and sugar, which wasn't readily available, was like the highlight of, of showing someone that you cared, right? You, sh- you saved sugar for the high holidays and for mm-hmm. um, birthdays and other things. And so to put sugar in front of someone is, is a very deeply rooted concept of saying, I, I value you and I care about you. And so to have that being forced out of school, it just, or anything, it really, really messes with people. And even if they couldn't describe all of this, you know, and my point is just that I, I agree with you that I wish there was just like, we didn't turn every time someone, you know, raise their hand correctly into a chance to give them a blow pop or whatever it feels like. It's just like absolutely anything that happens. It's like, right. here's, you know, here's another treat. Here's another treat. Right. And yet I, I think that's, that's going to be a long generational shift because you have to unstick that very deeply stuck idea that sugar is how I care. You know, it's, it's exactly the same way that you go to a different country and then you're not allowed to touch, you know, like that's a culture that they don't touch, they don't hug, you know, and everyone's like, ah, but I, I'm just trying to show you that I care, you know, it is, it hurts. And so I have some sympathy. And it, and it is deeply ingrained. And, and we talk about trying to make space for, for different views and different cultures. And it's like, well, first of all, this, this concept of we have to have a sugared cupcake, whose culture, where, why? And, and so that, that's a whole other conversation that, that we could definitely have. But I, I, I love the idea that you're bringing up that social, it's almost like a rejection of this supposed gift. And it, it does create those feelings. And, and that's why it can create all of the things that we see happen around this issue. Uh, and in addition to the isolation of the person who can't have the food. And especially when, mm-hmm. you, when you think of the context of a second grade classroom and you have a bunch of eight-year-olds in there, that cupcake is a big deal. 
but even just the concept as adults, when you're the only one in the room Mm -hmm. that can't do something or can't experience what everybody else is experiencing socially, this is a big deal. Magnify that when you're eight years old, or honestly, with the the teenagers as a whole, I used to work with teenagers primarily. and, And I would say elementary, it matters. Middle and high school, which I know we haven't talked about, it matters a lot. Mm-hmm different in middle and high school. And that's, that's another conversation as well. But, but going back to just the point of, of the kids sitting there having to be the one to say, no, I was in a parent meeting um, for a school I'm looking at for my son. And they were very direct in the parent meeting. They said, we've actually stopped doing food celebrations for birthdays. Mm-hmm. And there, I almost stood up out of my chair and applauded. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Like, but their point was, as, as exactly what you are all saying, there are so many reasons for why a child couldn't have that specific treat. They go far beyond no nut policies. It's, it's all of the allergens that we're seeing. And the problem with food allergy too, is it's evolving. And so we, you know, we, in the U S here, we just added top uh, nine because sesame has become such a, such an ally. And so this, this thing is continuing to move and the school administrators have noticed, they see the, the allergy alerts come across their desk and they realize that they are different and they are changing. And so if you think that and you, you mentioned the pineapple, that's a great example because that's why there, there isn't a treat that is, is just this magic silver, you know, thing that, that kids are all going to be able to have. And so they're like, let's teach our kids a different way to celebrate. And they, they go, we still do birthday celebrations. We just don't have food. I just, I think that's such a critical part is offering the alternative, right? Is it can every time people just are wildly resistant to having things taken away from them. And I get that. And it's, it's not just kids, right? Think about how hard it is to, to keep on a diet when your office keeps bringing in bagels and cakes every Friday and everything else, right? It's like adults have the same exact struggle when you're the one person that's trying to like be healthy or whatever, right? And But you have to have the alternative. You have to say like, instead of food, better than food, mm-hmm. we're going to sing a song for everybody and you know, whatever whatever the thing is that we're going to do, they get, you know, they get to wear a crown all day or whatever, but like, it's got to be like hyped. You need a hype yes. to, <laughs> to yeah. make it sound better than the food. Yes. And your point too, about how it doesn't seem to matter as much until you take it away. I have noticed this phenomenon on airplanes with the nuts. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like, nobody needed that. Did you purchase they took it away. ticket to Hawaii because of the bag of nuts that you were getting? It's like, but now that you're going to take it away, you have to have those nuts. And that's, it's a, it's a human thing. And I see that. And I love the idea of providing, like you said, just, just different ways to do this, which over time and over, you know, the, the number of kids that, that experience doing things a little bit differently, how cool would that be? Yeah. I'll totally trade nuts for more leg room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. One of the options that the school that Ollie is going to next year does is they allow a parent or a friend of the family to come in and read a book to the class. Mm-hmm. And they still allow the treats, which I think I might work on. I might join that committee or start a well-being committee <laughs> um, because of what you're saying. But yeah, it's a tough one to navigate, especially when you take it away. But again, you're not taking it away. You're saying this weekend when everyone gets together for the birthday party or your family comes over, you're having it. That's your Mm -hmm. family. That's your choice. And then that parent knows the child is going to that party and can say, I packed you X, Y, and Z instead. Or, you know, maybe you don't do that, but, you know, afterwards I'll take you for ice cream or whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's more, you have more agency over it where, and you're aware of it because what I'm seeing with my son is he's coming home with these holiday treats and he knows 
he'll hold the bag up and say, mommy, can I have this? And I look in and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like it's allergy free, but like I'm trying to navigate that conversation. So I actually have Dr. Shafali, who is a psychologist and she's coming on the podcast to talk about how to be a modern mom in this world, but have these conversations with our children about agency beyond food allergy, right? Like, yeah, okay, I'm advocating for my allergy, but like the immune system is really complex. And, you know, like our family believes in this and I'm not shaming families that choose to have sugar. Like, you know, saying this is our family's belief system. And I believe that our family should have these celebrations and loveliness. And I also believe it should be my choice and not a school's choice whose job is to keep my child safe and to teach my child. Right. 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 You know, in some schools, their job is to feed children. Most schools' right. job is to feed children also. But, you know, if you're bringing your lunch to school and your snack, don't send him home with food and make my job harder. Well, and even just in this conversation, I already I already sense the feeling that we have to explain and justify why we don't want to receive whatever the food is for whatever the reason. And it goes back to what Mina was saying earlier is this idea of just mutual respect for the, I mean, the very intimate thing of eating a food and putting that into your body is a decision that, that really is, is up to whoever it is that the person is that's going to be ingesting it. But we yeah. still feel this. And I feel this when I'm explaining about why I don't want this around my son, I, ha- I feel like I have to advocate for the seriousness of the situation for for all the reasons. There's so much misinformation out there. And I know some of that is just the work that I have to do as a food allergy parent. But part of it is I almost feel like I need to justify why we're not going to do this in the same way you know, that you're saying, well, we believe this about sugar and our immune system, and it is important. And just going back to what it would look like if we were teaching our kids from a young age that we just respect each other's food choices, there is, there's really no questions asked. It's, oh, right. okay. Yeah, it's like somebody else's body. Like you just don't need to be exactly. involved. But, but I can tell how deeply ingrained this is just culturally and even socially because of the, the way that it feels that you feel this pull to have to explain this and to have to justify this. And it, that if your reason is good enough, then people will respect it and and help you with that decision as if as if that was your task is to convince them of this choice right i know instead of just a mutual respect but i love that the fact that like there's so many places i've been where a religion is a good reason right. like if i told people my son right. is kosher they'd be like great got it on it right but then i tell them like he has a food allergy and they're like well i don't know right <laughs> i'm like wait exactly That's really interesting you bring that up because, yeah, people have this respect for religion in the way that people may respect your pronoun. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether you ascribe to that belief system or not, whether it's religion or pronouns, this is it. This is me. And I'm, I'm not asking you to be a food allergy person. I'm not asking you to eat allergy free. I'm just asking you to respect our lifestyle. I'm asking you to just not even, I I guess, respect it, but just like allow me to have agency over my child. Right. 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 It really boils down to that. Um, In episode 15 of Whole Body Health, I speak with Dr. Islet Fishbach from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, who did her PhD Mm -hmm. thesis on the social well-being of food allergy children. And she said in her thesis What was so fascinating was it's not just the child with food allergies that benefits from everyone eating the same food. It's every child. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about benefit, it's the social well-being. So they're talking about 
you know, the way that they can interact socially long-term in their lives. So when you eliminate the allergy policy or you eliminate the treat sharing and really give families and individuals the food that they're supposed to eat, the food that you've chosen for them to eat, and allow them all to eat at the same table together using the proper cross-contact, you know, soap and water, hands and wiping mouth after you're done and learning that from a very young age and using that as ritual, right? So they get in the habit of doing Mm -hmm. it. You are enhancing the social well-being of everyone at that table. The whole class is benefiting from it. So even though we're packing lunches, if the child has a packed lunch or, you know, eating school lunches, you're enhancing the social well-being of the entire class just by allowing them to sit at the same table. Now she's talking about also coming from a kosher background, you know, sitting down at Shabbat and having all of the same meal and how important it is to eat the same foods at a table. So, you know, now we're leaving the school in the conversation, we're going home and saying, okay, well, how are we going to eat now? If I know my son has a severe peanut allergy, you know, maybe we'll eat peanuts outside of the home, but like at Shabbat, no peanut, right? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. just a thing that we're going to do for our family to be inclusive and not just out of kindness, right? But I'm talking about like benefits for everyone and even like selfishness saying my kid will benefit from just being there, eating his food, her food, whatever. Right. And so, you know, going back to like, how can we change the narrative where it's not taking something away from that family, but saying, look, like we're all winning here by allowing this agency. So anyway, the end of this conversation, I really want to kind of mock up a draft or an idea of, again, this could change, but what to you looks like the optimal, I don't know if it's a rule, but like rethinking the no-not policy, what does it look mm-hmm. like to you implemented in schools? I think it, it's like we said, it, it's, it's, a, it's a reminder that goes out maybe that every year, we know this school serves 300 children. They come from a variety of backgrounds and a variety of different health needs. Some children will eat the school lunches. Some children will bring their school lunches. And we need to foster in the children a sense of respect for what each family has decided is the right way and the healthiest way for that child to thrive. And, you know, so what we're asking is that children do not share meals without, you know, like pre-approval and sometimes, you know, or, or this like sense of understanding between the families that we wash our hands, you know, after meals. We don't eat in libraries and non- food eating situations, and that we try and focus on activities, celebration activities that can truly encompass everybody that don't, that are, you know, sort of outside of the bounds of that sort of thing. And, you know, maybe that's a weirdly vague statement that everyone would go get this paper home and be like, what does that mean? (laughs) I got it. I totally understand. What I would add is I would love for parents to really understand what food allergy truly is. When we're talking about food allergy, what are we talking about? For my son, it is a life-threatening medical diagnosis. Point blank, that's what it is. That's what we're managing every day. When I, before my kids were diagnosed, I had no idea. I, I would have given you a million different answers about what I thought a food allergy was. I would have thought maybe a few hives or maybe a stomach ache. I mean, truly, the the amount of misinformation out there or preconceived ideas is, is a, something that I do think we need to work towards. And I think in educating parents, educating kids, that's a huge part of of making these spaces safer for everyone. Because once you understand what, what we're talking about, then the things that we're doing to accommodate that make more sense. And so, Minal, you talked about having designated food eating spaces. This is a huge point that I wanted to make sure that I bring up is having a designated food space. The amount of 
places where we accidentally step into dropped food, oh smeared food. It's, it's like unbelievable. Drives me bonkers. Um, and it's a whole, I could literally talk to you for three hours <laughs> about this topic. Um, but just part of being, you know, the social contract is, is to clean up after yourself. Well, when we talk about that, well, why? So that when my son goes down the slide at the playground, he's not smearing his hand in peanut butter because somebody else was just eating on that piece of equipment. So this, again, this is another topic, but when we explain food allergy and then we explain these are the things we're going to do, we're not sharing food, we're washing hands, we have designated eating spaces and we wipe up those eating spaces afterwards. If we did those things, and then if we had a very clear um, training and understanding of recognizing anaphylaxis and then treating it effectively in the schools, what that would look like for really caring for these kids who are walking into these schools with these very serious medical conditions. And even that parameter, I think, actually sets the table for anyone who has a different dietary need that isn't necessarily food allergy. Um, we're not having all of these celebrations in class where we have to figure out a treat, a food treat that's going to work for everybody. All of those things for me seem to really fall into place. If we understand what this is, we have some basic hygiene protocols and some emergency awareness. Can I amen on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I love it. Um, I'm I'm actually really surprised that all three of us have a similar opinion. I So going into this podcast, Full transparency to the listener had no idea what Lauren and Menel's ideas were going to be and what their opinions were going to be. And I'm really pleasantly surprised and shocked that we are all kind of of the same mindset, even though all three of our children have life-threatening food allergies. It's really interesting. I definitely think it's nuanced and complicated. Um, sure. I, I do find most people will say, well, you know, pineapple allergy, like, why don't we just avoid all top nine allergens down? I'm like, pineapple's not a top nine allergen. That's exactly. why we have to be so, that's why we have to rethink this policy because it slapping a label on for legal reasons isn't going to protect my child. It's going to protect the school. Right. And what protects my child is making sure that all the administration has the proper training. Yes. So choosing a daycare or school that has a proper training or mandating the fact that they have the proper training because, you know, in my opinion, not just one person should know how to operate epinephrine. Everyone should. Yes. In, in terms of administration, I think that's a non-negotiable for, for schools and daycares, yep. even though it requires four extra hours of learning on a weekend for the administration to get certified in it, that would have saved so many people's lives. And I think the yeah. fear of not knowing how to do that, actually, it takes more than four hours of that teacher's headspace to live in denial of, oh my gosh, I just gave them that this food, as in the case of like in Elijah Lavi, where mm -hmm. his you know, provider, care provider gave him a grilled cheese and denied the fact that she gave him a grilled cheese because they didn't use epinephrine. And so, you know, just mandating the fact that you need to know how to, to use epinephrine so that you don't feel like you need to lie or be in denial about how to, you know, treat it. Mm -hmm. Um, and we need to be like, I mean, this is a modern thing, right? We're not, it's, we're not living 20 years ago where all we knew about was a peanut allergy. Right. Kids have all different types of allergies, including environmental. My son's got severe environmental allergies, which cause him to have severe 
reactions to oak pollen, grasses, this and that, hay, you know? Mm -hmm. So we need to be aware of that. If Ollie's eyes are swelling up, my son's eyes, he needs to go to the nurse or the nurse needs to come to him ASAP. And so I'm really glad we had this conversation today. And I do want to end on a little bit of a fun rapid fire note, if you guys are up for it. Sure, I'm down. Okay, cool. All right. So Lauren, we'll start with you and then we'll hop over to Meenal. One thing you can't live without. Coffee. (laughs) Exercise. Something not many people know about you. I do Taekwondo. (laughs) I honestly, I wrote a book that like bore my soul. And so at this point, I don't think there's anything anyone doesn't know about me. (laughs) A challenge you never thought you'd have to overcome. Mm, food allergies and social settings did not understand prior to the diagnosis that it's not just not giving a kid that food. I never thought about the challenges really. I I mean, everything with being a child, like the number of times you have to convince them to like get their shoes on or other things that you just didn't think were going to be that hard. (laughs) So true. Get in the car. We're going to school. (laughs) Biggest challenge right now. Sleep. I have two really little kids. <laughs> I think for us personally, it is it is, is all the psychosocial stuff as my child is getting older is really figuring out how to help him feel in control and not have that lack of control about one thing bleed over to his feelings about everything else. Mm-hmm. 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 Something you're looking forward to. We're literally trying to plan a vacation right now, but I couldn't tell you where we're going yet. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the same. My college friends and I are turning 40 this year, so we're planning a big trip and I'm excited, yeah, really yeah. excited about that. It's been too long. Um, something you do that makes you feel good about yourself. Break boards at Taekwondo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just slowly, slowly chip away at these like handstand push-ups and other things that I've been trying to achieve um, yeah. over a year. So I'm, I'm almost there. You guys make me look like an amateur. Handstand <laughs> push-ups? <laughs> Crazy. Oh my gosh. Um, thank you both so much for coming on and sharing your opinions. I hope that some school systems and cities and parents hear this podcast and um, can reach out to any of us to ask us questions about some of our thoughts. So how can people find you, Lauren? Yes, uh, primarily through Instagram. We are at the Food Allergy Moms on Instagram. And we are also at our blog, www.foodallergymom.com. And Mino, how can people find you? You can always email hello at lilmixins.com. That's L-I-L-M-I-X-I-N-S.com. And things that are, you know, general support support can answer do actually get forwarded to me. That's great. And if any of you want to leave questions as a review on this podcast, you can do that as well. And we will be watching and listening and waiting to hear from you. Thank you both so much again. It was so great to see you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So great to hang out with you both. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If there's anything in this episode that resonated with you or led you to take action, I'd love for you to share it with me on social. Remember to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. I am so grateful for all of your voices and support and love, and I'm just sending you all a great big hug.